1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, the Bible says this, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Whom resist steadfast, because you're uh, steadfast in faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, settle you. I want God to minister in this building, and I want him to make us perfect, to establish us, to settle us and to strengthen us today. But to do that, I will take for the next few moments to preach to this congregation, and I hope and pray I can do it justice what I feel this morning. But I will preach today from this thought, this title, The Man-Eaters of Hell. The Man-Eaters of Hell. Like I said, I believe God's going to do something great in this building today. I feel like I'm going to preach a little bit if that's all right. Remember, we only got one service, so I'm going to get it all out today, okay? Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. You can be seated in Jesus' name. I don't have time for a long introduction, so I'm just going to jump in really quickly. There are two things I'm confident about today that I am very confident and understand today. The first is that we serve a mighty big God. I'm convinced today you've come too late if you've come with an argument that God has ceased to exist. But I disagree, my friend. There is a God today, and he is not just a figment of theology. He is not simply an ultimate reality of philosophy, nor is he the absent God of modern Christianity. But he is a personal God. His abode is not just in heaven, but heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. He is big, he is wonderful, he is mighty, and he's here today. I'm convinced, you've come too late to argue with me about this. I'm convinced that there is a creator of heaven and earth, uh, that he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ending. He is the El Shaddai or the God Almighty of Abraham's day. Uh, He is the rock of Moses' day. Uh, He is the anointing oil of David's day. Uh, He is the wisdom of Solomon's day. Uh, He is the prophetic utterance uh, of Isaiah's day. And his name is Jesus. My friend, I don't serve a dead God, a dismissed God, a vacant God, or a God on vacation. I serve a God who is an ever-present help in time of trouble. If you don't believe me, that's okay. I hope by the end of the day you do. Uh, I want you to understand uh, that he's the bread of life. Uh, He's the lily in the valley. Uh, He's the bright morning star. Uh, He is God Almighty. Uh, And he didn't just come uh, uh, or send somebody to do his dirty work, uh, but he became flesh uh, and dwelt among us. Uh, He became Emmanuel, God with us. Oh, hear me today. I know there is a God. 
and his name is Jesus. If you don't get this part, the rest of it's going to have you depressed. Again, I don't have time for a long introduction. That's the one thing I do know, and I can spend a lot of time on it. We don't have that kind of time. But the second thing I do know, I am convinced, I believe it with everything that's within me, that just as much as there is a God, there is a devil. Now, I'm not come to brag on the devil this morning, but I do need to let you know who he is. The Bible calls him many things. He's the devil, Satan, accuser of the brethren. He's a liar and the father of lies. We call him Lucifer. Isaiah calls him the king of Tyrus. He's the serpent, the dragon, even Beelzebub, and the adversary. He's called all kinds of things because he does all kinds of things. He is the one that wrecks havoc in God's world. He is the prince of the power of the air, and he has taken dominion over this world. He is doing everything he can to usurp God's authority and God's power. He is a mimic. He is not an original. He is not the goat or the greatest of all time. But he is trying to be. He is trying to do things and usurp and destroy the church. He is trying to destroy you and I today. It is his goal, his purpose, his lot in life to contend against the people of God. He cannot fight God, so he contends against the people of God in an effort to destroy the work and the glory of God. Again, I'm not here to brag on him today. Many of you know and very well acquainted with the fact that the devil is real. He's big, he's bad, and he's ugly. And he's doing his best to destroy. But one of the most interesting comparisons can be found about the devil in Peter's writings in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. When Peter reminds the church that we have an adversary who goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You have to understand here today, church, that this description does not mean that God or that the devil is locked in a cage somewhere in a zoo for you and I to look upon. That's not happened yet. It will happen, but it hasn't happened yet. Right now, as we speak, as we said here today, there is an enemy who is likened unto a ravenous beast doing his best to destroy humanity. He is going about looking for the tasty morsels of men and his job is to be a man eater of hell. He is here to destroy. He is here to attack and he is here to devour. Now when we talk about lions we quickly think of stories that have permeated every culture since the beginning of time. Your Bible for example is filled with accounts of men coming face to face with lions and prevailing. You have stories like David, who before he slew the giant named Goliath, came face to face with the lion and the bear. And to protect his father's flock, he slew those beasts. We see Samson, that mighty judge of Israel, who when God's spirit would move upon him, his strength would be unmatched against any one or two or even a thousand men as scripture would unfold. And when Samson comes face to face with a ravenous lion, the Bible tells us that he slays it with his sheer strength. One of David's mighty men, Benadad, if I remember, or Benaniah, if I can pronounce his name right. I've been pronouncing a lot of names. I preached yesterday at an event, so I'm on those notes too. 
Benaniah, the Bible says, would kill a lion in a pit on a snowy day. The Bible is filled with the carnage caused by lions where people have not just slain them, but have been slain by them. And we don't have time to go into all of that. But the Bible is not the only cultural evidence for lions through ancient society. Greek mythology tells us that the great demigod Hercules would come face to face with the famous lion known as the Demian lion. And this lion who would be impervious to swords, spears, and arrows, whose hide was so thick it could not be punctured, would be strangled by this mere mortal who had the strength of the quote-unquote gods upon him. We could go on and on today and we don't have that kind of time. One of the most notable events or accounts about lions happened just a little under or a little over a hundred years ago. The year was 1898 and lions were still causing problems. During that time, the area known as the British East Africa was under British colonization and control. What the British East Africa represents is what is known now as Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania. And there on the Savo River in present-day Kenya, the British were tasked with the monumental or monumentous task of building a railroad to connect the coast to inland trading positions. Unfortunately, work on the Salvo River train line came to a deadly standstill when two male lions found out that natives taste really good. The choice meal for these two lions would be these workers that, and villagers that lived around the railroad line and worked to build the railroad. In fact, it was such an incredible uh, moment, an incredible account that this, these lions became known as the man-eaters of Savo. They would be credited with killing over 100 natives and, and Indian workers who were working on this British railway. They were devastating the work. In fact, the work would actually come to a complete halt. They would not be able to move any further. And yet the British understood we've got to move this rail line. So they sent a man, a Lieutenant Colonel John Henry Patterson, to hunt these beasts. And over the next several months, Colonel Patterson did his best to try to track these animals down and hunt them. It was a daunting task, and, and it's kind of scary when the pastor comes with multiple books in his hand to the pulpit, but I came with multiple books in my hand. He actually records his story in a book titled The Man-Eaters of Savo, and he begins to talk about the incredible toil that began to take on his mind and on his body as he began to hunt these animals. You have to understand that these, these beasts, these lions, would hunt at night, and they had this canny, uncanny ability to go into these villages and go into these worker camps when Mr. Patterson was off at another camp watching and waiting. They would hit another one and, and they would drag these men screaming from their tents. Uh, there were accounts where men would be laying in their cots and all of a sudden that lion would reach in with his mouth and grab that native by the skull uh, and drag him kicking and screaming from the tent uh, and his screams would be heard uh, in the grass outside the 
the tent and the crunch and the crunch of these animals eating these men. I'm here to tell you it was a despicable occurrence. But what made it even worse, and Brother pa- or Mr. Patterson makes this statement in his book, and I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of time. He said, I'd be in my stand and I'd be trying to stalk these things and I could hear as darkness fell on the camp, I could hear the roaring of the lion and I could hear these lions as they would roar back and forth to one another as they would approach the camp. I would hear these beasts as their roars drew closer and closer and we huddled in fear, worried who would be the next victim. But what really made it unnerving has when these, these animals got in vicinity of the camp, their roaring would go silent. It was at that moment when the roars ceased to be heard that we knew they were stalking the camp. And we knew that despite our best efforts, somebody would be missing at roll call the next morning. And so the natives would begin to cry out in fear and in desperation. And their cries would be heard throughout the camp. And I, I don't, I'm not going to try to read or quote what they said uh, verbatim. I'm going to just do it in English because I can't speak the language. But they, they would begin to cry one to another, camp to camp, tent to tent. As darkness was upon them and the roars of the lions would cease, uh, they would cry out, Beware, brothers, the devil is coming. Beware, brothers, the devil is coming. And yet despite their calls and despite their calling out and their best intentions, someone eventually would succumb to the attack of the lion and the screams would be heard through the camp as another would fall. I've come today to preach to this congregation and to everybody under the sound of my voice that brothers and sisters beware. The devil is coming. I know that Jesus is coming back. I know that the rapture is imminent. But you have to understand that just as evident as the rapture coming, there is an enemy roaring about the camp trying to destroy us today. He's not a little kitten purring softly around your ankles, but he is a roaring, deadly beast focused on destroying everyone here today. So again, I sound the cry. Brothers, beware. The devil is coming. That's why Peter calls out to the church and says, be sober. Be vigilant. The devil is coming. I need you to understand you can't play church. You can't dilly-dally with Jesus. You can't tamper with the things of this world. Beware! Because the devil is coming. You and I can't stop praying. You and I can't stop coming to church. You and I can't stop worshiping. Because the devil is coming. But it's very easy to hear the roars around us. It's very easy to determine. We hear him a long way off. We hear him calling. We hear his cry, his roaring. And we know we've got to beware. He's coming. But there is a scarier moment than hearing the roars of the adversary. And that's when the roaring of the lion ceases in the night. It's the scariest moment when you can no longer hear the roar. 
I fear that as Holy Ghost filled saints of God, it's easy to hear the roaring of the lion. But listen to me, my brothers. Listen to me, my sisters. When you cease to hear the roaring, that's not time to give up. That's the time to get to an altar. Because when you cease to hear his roars, that means he's coming for you. That means he singled you out. And your spiritual hearing has ceased to be in tune with the word of God and with the roars of the lion called the devil. We've got to understand something. If you look at me today and you say, I don't know what he's talking about, my friend. I'm talking directly to you because you've ceased to hear the roar. And I fear for you today that you can become ensnared in the mouth of the lion. He is there. He's closing in. He's going to do his dead level best to destroy you. Uh, So beware. The devil is coming. Hear me today. Safety or church is not the safest moment spiritually. I know that may sound freaky to some people, but understand. You can sit on a pew and you can come to church and you can pay your tithes and you can do and you can even have a title and a position. But if you're not careful, the enemy has a way of reaching into the tent. How do I know? Because I've watched too many people. I've watched too many people sitting in the tent uh, get drugged out uh, and backslide and leave church and leave God uh, and be lost and undone uh, because the devil got too close uh, and they ceased to be vigilant and sober. They ceased to hear the roaring uh, of the lion. And instead of picking up the watch, uh, instead of grabbing something to ward off uh, the blows or the attacks of the enemy, they got complacent in the tent. Uh, and I hear today uh, as the devil continues to crunch on the spiritual bones of backsliders and it worries me today that you can fall asleep in the tent so beware the devil is coming hallelujah hallelujah hear me today just as there were man eaters of Salvo there are man eaters of hell today and hell has enlarged her mouth to do its best to try to destroy every individual on the face of the planet. Now you may scoff at this, you may laugh at this. That's your prerogative. I can't make you believe it. But you need to understand you are in the crosshairs of hell. This is not a game, church. Life is a little bit scarier than what we as Americans like to think it is. There's really something bigger going on in the background. It's the maneuvering of the lion. And we hear his roars at times. And we we hear things happen and we think, oh man, that, that happened way down the road. That lion's hunting somebody else. But no, what we, what we fail to understand at times uh, that when he ceases to roar that means we ought to look even bigger we ought to really pay attention even more we've got to beware the devil is coming months and months of this go on in 1898 as this man John Henry Patterson hunts these animals for months sleepless nights men being lost Lives being destroyed. And he hunts them. He continues to hunt them. He's outsmarted on every side. He may get a glimpse there or a glimpse here. He may get a shot every now and then. But it seems like they're impervious to blows. It seems like nothing can kill them. And they are, according to the natives, must be demons in disguise. They can't be killed. But then the day comes that Mr. Patterson gets sight on the first one. 
and he squeezes off a shot and that lion falls dead at his feet. A few months later, he, after multiple hunts, he would come face to face with the second one. This time, he would shoot him and, 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 and the animal would turn on him and try to, try to stalk him even though he was wounded. And finally, he would be able to shoot them. And these two lions, these man-eaters of Savo would be completely destroyed. Oh, how the natives rejoiced. Half of their reason for fear was because these lions could not be caught. They couldn't be captured despite the trap. They seemed to be uh, immortal. And so it was almost a mystical stigma to them. And so now this man has killed this bi- the biggest threat that we have uh, here on the train line. And so these natives go absolutely berserk. By all accounts, as these natives heard of the news of the death of these man-eaters, they gathered around Mr. Patterson with everything in them. They brought food. They brought presents. In fact, they would even present him, I believe, with a rifle with an inscription on it. They would go, even though they were impoverished, they would go and they would give gifts and they would put accolades on him. They would dance for, around him. They would almost worship him as a god. Because he had killed the man-eaters of Salvo. And he had delivered them from destruction. One newspaper account, many wrote on the story. And as the word began to get out that, about this account. And, and as Mr. Patterson actually published his book, people were in awe at the situation. In fact, it was such a big deal that when these were killed, these lions are actually mentioned from the House of Parliament in Great Britain. In fact, they're the only animals to have ever been mentioned from the Parliament floor. These lions were such a big deal that newspapers began to report on the story. And one in particular, about a year after this had happened, this was written. He said something, he was talking about the, the, uh, the lions and how, and how these, these lions were so deadly and how the people reacted and responded upon the death of, 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 of these lions. And he says, to what a distance the whole story carries us back and how impossible it becomes to account for the survival of primitive men against this kind of foe. Everything we tried wouldn't work. But it finally did And I'm skipping ahead And then he says this Talking not only about the the Kenyans And not only talking about these, these natives With this story But even going back into time He writes They looked to the king Or chief Or some champion To kill these monsters For them It was not the sport But the duty Of kings To kill. Y'all with me so far? I read to you today, Peter says, that there is an enemy like a lion. And he's roaring. And we got to resist him. Knowing that he's after everybody. But the God of all grace, who hath called us into his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, After that, you have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Peter's writing what Mr. Patterson understood. That when there's a lion, the best thing you can do is get a lion killer. And when the lion killer finally kills the lion, he's lauded as the king. Did that make any sense? 
I said when the lion gets killed, the king gets crowned. Y'all not I said there's a devil and he's after you. He's like a lion trying to destroy him and you got to beware. But I need you also to understand that there is a savior. And as the lion closes in, there is a God who's working the midnight shift, who never slumbers nor sleeps, and he's going after a lion that's after his people. Oh, hear me today. When Jesus went to the cross, when he hung and died on the cross for you and I, what he was doing was not killing himself, but he was destroying the strength of the lion. Hear me today. We can be sober and vigilant, yes, but we also need to understand that as we resist him, uh, there is a Savior, and he's working to perfect us, to establish us, to save us, uh, to settle us, uh, to give us the strength we need. So as the lion closes in, my friend, let me give a little shout of warning, uh, but also a shout of encouragement uh, that Jesus uh, is the ultimate lion killer. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Uh, He has been crowned uh, king undisputable, uh, king eternal, uh, king unconquerable, uh, and he's going uh, to kill the lion. You don't believe me? It's already been prophesied. Uh, Your Bible tells you in the book of Revelation, uh, chapter number, I believe it's 19, uh, the Bible says uh, that the angel uh, would descend from heaven. He would take keys to the bottomless pit. Uh, He would lay hands on the devil, that old serpent, uh, the dragon, uh, which is Lucifer. And he, my God, uh, and he would throw him uh, into the pit uh, for eternity. Uh, My friend, hear me today. uh, there may be man eaters of hell but there is a lion killer of heaven that is in this place and he's ready to overcome your lion Jesus. musicians come everybody stand I'm done I gotta leave you with this though the devil is real he's as real as I'm standing here Hell is real. It's as real as I'm standing here. But I need you to understand, while he's big, bad, and ugly, and he seems to have lots of power at times, there's really more to the story than what meets the eye. You know why I'm so big about the name of Jesus? And I, I seem to, we sing about it, I think, every service. We talk about it all the time. I get a little excited. I've been known to do that once or twice. And why I keep talking about this idea of of the name of Jesus and how it's so important to understand that we serve a God who robed himself in flesh, came to earth. You want to know why that's so important? Because you will never find in Scripture the name of what we call the devil. Some of y'all Bible scholars just "Ah, listen to me. He is called the devil. That's not a name. It's a demon spirit. He is referred to as Satan. 
That's a Greek word that means the accuser. It's no name. It's just the accuser. What about Lucifer, Pastor? Well, I'm glad you said that. That's a transliteration. And all it literally means is son of the morning. It's not his name. It just is a title he's given from heaven. He has no name. Okay? buddy of mine was telling me this a while back and he said he was, he was studying in a, 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 a linguistics class, a Hebrew linguistics class and he had an old Jewish professor teaching the class and he's telling him all this and AJ raised his hand and said I got a question for you Dr. So and so why do we not have the name of the devil in scripture why is he never given the name to which the old Jewish professor responded oh it's simple very simple by giving him a name we give him power and authority and so nowhere in scripture is the devil Satan, Lucifer, the accuser, the serpent oh slew foot as bishop to say Nowhere in scripture is he given a proper name. Because to do so would label him as powerful and full of authority. But we have a name. I said the church has been given a name. Paul would write about it in Philippians when he would say wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name wait 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 the same God that created the angels that formed in eternity past the very being that I preached about today failed to give him a name but when he robed himself in flesh he gave that flesh a name. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and giveth him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm here to tell somebody today that while the man-eaters of hell uh, may be circling the camp, uh, there is a God uh, that said, I'll give you authority uh, and I'll give you power uh, to overcome the enemy. Uh, I'll give you authority uh, against the adversary. Uh, I'll establish you. I'll strengthen you. Uh, I'll give you strength. Uh, come on, somebody. Uh, I'll make you perfect in spite of the adversity. I wish somebody all over this building would get the revelation of what I'm preaching today. And you would step out of your seat and you would walk around, you'd get in front of this church and you'd say, devil, I may not understand it and roar all you want to, but I've been given a name. I've been given a name. And sin can't hold me and addiction can't bind me and depression can't keep me and fear can't control me because I've got a name that's above every 
name. Come on, let's worship him all over this building. Pick up my sword and say, Oh, the battle is high, but it's not too steep. And the battle is rough, but I'm not too weak. Oh, I won't turn back. I won't turn back. Jesus. Oh, the enemy. I'm not going to turn back. Oh, I won't turn back. refuse to give up. I've got a name. Oh, I've got a name. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. We believe you, Jesus. In case you're wondering, your Bible is very clear that God is the greatest lion tamer ever known to mankind. Very quickly, let me show you. Daniel's told if he prays, he's getting thrown in the lion's den. He's getting thrown to a bunch of hungry lions and they'll take care of business. The Bible says that Daniel's lowered into the lion's den. The lion's den is sealed. And the king passes a sleepless night waiting to see the fate of Daniel. The next morning, as the sun peeks over the horizon, the king makes his way to the den. He orders the stone rolled back, the den opened. And he yells down to Daniel. Oh, the king had to have some kind of faith because I guarantee it, he had never done that before. And he yells, Daniel! Is your God able? Is the lion hunter able to kill the lion? Now this isn't King James Version, but this is what Daniel said. He can still shoot well, King. 
You see, O king, live forever. The angel of the Lord, whom I am, and whose I, I, who's I am and whom I serve, he came down, and he hath shut the mouth of the lion. And I'm just crazy enough to believe that the same lion tamer in Daniel's day is the same lion tamer in this day. And he's still able to shut the mouth of your lion. I wish somebody would believe it today. I wish somebody would look your lion in the face and say, shoe lion, uh, Jesus is still on the throne. I wish somebody would step out in faith and say, you know what? I hear the roaring of the lion, but I know, I know a God who's greater than the lions. Oh, there's victory. There's deliverance in this house. If you need the Holy Ghost, if you need deliverance, I invite you to this altar right now. God wants to fill you with the Spirit of God. He wants to move in the mighty way. If you need healing in your body, I invite you to this altar. God wants to work today.